Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. That's where we are in our study of the book of Revelation. It's a study that's happening here in our pulpits in various locations on Sundays and Saturday, as well as on Wednesdays here with Pastors Marcos Ortega and Tim Sherritt as they dig through verse by verse all of the entire book of Revelation. We are now looking at the fourth of seven letters, right in the middle. Last week we looked at three churches with 17 verses or so. Now this is one church with 12 verses. Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. The Word of God. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your later works, your latter works, exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pray with me if you would. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Revelation. As we read this letter, we read what most likely most people find intimidating about the book of Revelation. There's strong imagery here, some brutal imagery. Lord, these are the things we're frightened of. These are the things that we wonder if we have the ability to understand. And yet, much of that view of your word doesn't come from your word. It comes from out there, comes from our culture. Lord, as we spend time in your word, and we ask your Holy Spirit for help with this, as we spend time in your word, we understand, we see your love behind it all. 
We see the strong warnings that come from a heart that loves us, that cares for us. Lord, we want to experience this. We want to experience you as we learn your word. Help us to do this in these moments as we ask that you'd help us to do it throughout our lives and help us in this to give you glory. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. So most of us know what an expiration date is. We know what it means when we see the expiration date on our milk or cheese or hummus or toothpaste. There's an expiration date on your toothpaste. Go home and check it out. There it is. And we, we get that much of what's around us is expiring as well. Like the idea of the expiration date, we know it didn't take long for us to think about it. It kind of applies to all of life. Ever since Genesis 3, there's been an expiration date kind of stamped on everything. But especially on the things that have to do with life, things that are organic, the things that are really good for us, almost all of those things don't last forever, you know. They have an expiration date. There's another date, however, that products that don't qualify for an expiration date tend to have on them, and it tends to be confusing. It's the best buy date. And maybe you don't know anything about the best buy date. It is supposed to be not the date that's an expiration date, but kind of the date where it's, it's the food is its highest quality and it goes down, except it's kind of arbitrary and lots of times it just doesn't apply. Uh, I mean, here's a little chart here. You know, there's the sell-by date, which is the expiration, kind of related to the expiration date. There's a little date between the use-by date and then the best-by date. And the, the best defense for the best-by date is, well, it's about quality, not safety. So the food is safe to eat but it may not be the best. And sometimes that best buy date is set years into the future. And I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't get the subtlety of the best buy date across to my children. They see the best buy date has passed, and they look at the food item, which is perfectly fine, and they say, ew. <laughs> no, not ew. Now, I was thinking about the best buy date because of this middle verse, you heard it come and go as we read through the scriptures there. It's a verse we know well. Hold fast what you have until I come. Hold fast. Basically, Jesus is saying, you've been through a lot. I'm not expecting anything out of you. Just kind of hang on until I come. And that's the tone. It's an unusual tone for Christ. And, you know, I've been preaching through the Bible for these two and a half decades, been through these letters before, but not been through these letters at the age of 57. And so at the age of 57, I go through the letters and I see that hang on. And it just means a little bit more to me than it used to mean because I used to be ambitious. And I used to think, I'm going to do more than hang on, watch and see, watch and learn. We're going to take the hill. We're going to take the mountain. We're going to go places. But life has a way of correcting that view. 
maybe, of, of refining that view. So I'm sitting there. I'm thinking about this. Hold fast. You'll see it. We're going to look at it again. He says, hold fast. Just, just hang on. I don't expect much out of you. And then the next verse he says, to him who conquers. So the one who just hangs on is the one who conquers. And what he gives to the one who conquers is amazing. And so you just see all that. And I'm thinking about all this as I'm sitting at my desk. And at my desk, there's always a little jar of Vegemite. I don't know if you know what Vegemite is. If you don't, then I'm excited for you. There's a discovery in your future. If you can find one, several people have asked me, can you find it in the grocery store? I say, probably not. You should ask them because it would be fun to have the people at the local grocery stores. People keep asking about Vegemite. I guess we've got to stock it. And then if it gets stocked, I'm going to ask you to take a picture of that and send it to me, and we'll see. Look at that. We've affected change. Not quite in the way that we mean to affect change as the church, but we're practicing. Look at that. There's Vegemite now in the store. Now, what's Vegemite? Well, before I tell you what it is, and I know you're excited to hear, I looked at it, and I thought, there can't be a best by date on this stuff. Because this stuff, I mean, define best if you've ever had Vegemite. Who here has ever had it? Look at that. Very few. <laughs> the rest of you are like, it's a mystery. But on the bottom of the jar, there's a best buy date. And yes, the best buy date for this jar of Vegemite, which I help myself to all the time, has long since passed. So I did my research, and it turns out that people like me have enjoyed their Vegemite a year past the Best Buy date. Some people five years past the Best Buy date. Other people ten years past the Best Buy date. It doesn't really matter, this Best Buy date, on certain products. Now, now Vegemite is it's a breakfast condiment from Australia. For those who might view the American breakfast condiments like butter or jam as being rather spineless. You know, the butter oozes, the jam ingratiates itself with its sweetness. But Vegemite, no, it storms the gates of breakfast. <laughs> it's startling. You won't forget what it tastes like. Someone out there said it tastes like fish bait. And my question to them is, how do you know what fish bait tastes like? <laughs> So if you, if you know about this stuff, you know the best by date is, it's just, no, that's, no, it's not necessary. It doesn't apply. And that registers with me and maybe with all of us to some extent because we think about ourselves when we think about a best by date and that's related to the expiration date. And the expiration date that's stamped on everything, including on us, that gets to us. We're afraid of it. We're afraid of death. Our fear of death makes us slaves to the fear of death. And the Bible says as much. In these verses here, there's a picture of Vegemite for you. I had a picture in case you wondered what it looked like. Sorry, you missed that. Here are the verses. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
There it is. I, I, I tuck those verses away to the side because I need to pull those out when I'm with people who are dealing with a fear of death. That's all of us at one point or another. We're dealing with the, the fear of death, and look at that. Jesus has dealt with it completely. He's taken care of it. He's turned our expiration date into a transportation date, hasn't he? And that's the good news. And that good news is what's, is what's behind all this stark imagery that we encounter in the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a book brimming with encouragement and hope and life and heart. It is extreme, but reality is extreme. We end up in two different places, one of two different places at the end of this journey, heaven or hell, with God or not with God. And the differences cannot be exaggerated. So that brings us to the first verse that we're looking at today. And we notice right away that it's, it's not expiration, transportation. It's not what happens to us. It's the one above all that that we more than fear, that we revere, that's being described here. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write. So that's typical. We've seen that three times before. A church has an angel and a lampstand. Don't forget. The angel means messenger. I picture an angel. But I want to be careful in picturing an angel because of the way we picture angels in our culture. They're going to be on our Christmas trees. We sing about them. They have wings, you know, and they're nice and they help us when we're about to get in an accident in a in a car or we're lonely or whatever, and we tend to picture them as little instruments of virtue and goodness. But in the Bible, the picture is more specific than that. The Bible indicates that angels always have a message. That's what angel means, angelos. So the, the angels are always about the gospel. And even when they're engaged in battle, they're engaged in battle against lies and the perpetrators of lies. And that's essentially what Satan is. That's what demons are. They're fallen angels. So they're angels on the other side of truth. They have an opposite message than the angels of God. The angels of God have the message of the gospel. Angelos is the, the word for angel. You, angelos, that is where we get the word evangelical. You means good. Euphoric, right? You angelos, the good message. Evangelical means we're people of the gospel. That's what that word means. It might mean other things now, but that's originally what it meant. And that's what it needs to keep meaning for us because that word is in our scriptures. To the angel, the angelos, of the church in Thyatira, right? The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So we get this picture of Jesus, the Son of God, being one of power, of judgment, because that's what fire means. Fire is about purification. Fire really is about judgment. That's why they're called the fires of hell and not the waters of hell or something else. Sometimes only fire will do. 
And that shows you that we're to take Jesus seriously, we're to take the Bible seriously, we're to take sin seriously. And whether we do or not, well, that has a great influence on how we do in this life and where we end up after this life. Now, he starts by saying to the church, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. There that word is again, that phrase, patient endurance. Don't miss that. Don't complain because you need that. That is an essential ingredient in the Christian life, patient endurance. You're not doing it wrong because you have to be patient. You're not doing it wrong because you have to endure. You're doing it right. There's no shortcut. There's the one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, well, you don't, have, don't worry about that. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not ride in a hot air balloon over it. Amen? Patient endurance. I know your works, your love, your faith, service, patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So good news so far, a, a, a good evaluation. It's the sandwich method. Have you ever heard of this? You know, when you offer somebody criticism, you say something nice, and then you offer the criticism, and then the other piece of bread is something nice again. And I don't know if you've ever been sandwiched. It doesn't work for me because I'll forget about all the bread and it'll just be that little bit of criticism. You know, a thousand people can say something nice and one person says something not so nice and all you remember is the one person and what they said that you didn't like. Well, Jesus is kind of doing that here. He starts by saying, I know. I know what you've done that's good. I know what you've done that's right. I know what you've done that's pleasing to me. However... But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So we have this name Jezebel that we know from the Old Testament. We know that she was the, the wife of King Ahab. We know that she was one who enforced Baal worship in the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. And so when we see the name Jezebel, we, we know that this is attached to, to sexual immorality, and we see this trend already in these letters. We see this combination of food sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. And this is what all those opposed to Christ's Major in. This is what the other side does. This is the dark side. This is society for the church in Thyatira. This is what's going on around them. Their neighbors will invite them over for demon worship and sex and dinner. You know, and demon worship is kind of mixed in with dinner. And that's the, that's the culture they lived in. And so that's what they had to fight. And they were successful and unsuccessful in this because some of the Christians were taking up these invitations from the culture around them. And always evil works with, what, with what's there. So Satan will, will bring a lie. He'll say, you can have your truth. Just add this lie to it. There's your gospel. There's Jesus. Bring a little Jesus to the party. Sure, but let's do all these other things as well. And that's always the message of Satan ever since Genesis chapter 3. Yes, you have paradise. Yes, God and you walk in the garden together, but you're missing out. 
I've got more for you. Look behind curtain number three. There it is. See? Who's your buddy? Who's your pal? Not you, Satan. Yeah. And he's brought up here as part of the stark imagery. That's part of what's intimidating. It's part of what we don't like about the book of Revelation. So, so Jezebel, we know what that means. Many commentators believe this was a real person, a real woman back then named Jezebel, called herself a prophetess who led people out of the church into apostasy, into sin, into immorality. You could take the name Jezebel and just superimpose it over half of what you see on Netflix, half of what you see on Amazon and other providers of media these days. You could take that same name and superimpose it over Western culture. That's the culture in Europe and the United States that so wants more of all these things, more immorality, and, and so much so that immorality is moral and morality is immoral. And so when, when the Bible talks about sexual immorality, it's saying that uh, this is sex that you would have for, for, with, with anyone else for any reason at any time who was not your, your marital spouse. And what's intended here is one biological man with one biological woman. And yes, we live in a day and age where that needs to be emphasized because you don't want people to think you're saying something else. People could be upset at somebody like me saying that or all of us that do say that, but what we say doesn't matter. This is what Jesus says. This is what the Bible says. This is how the Bible defines sexual immorality and sexual purity. So what do we do if we're caught up in this, if we're, if we're accused by this, if we fall short of this? Well, there's the word right there. It's a beautiful word. We're noticing some beautiful words here. Patient endurance is one of them. Repentance is another. Christians are called to repent. Christians are offered repentance. That means to turn around, not just to be sorry, Nothing wrong with being sorry. Don't stop being sorry for what's worth being sorry for, but don't stop there. Take action. Change. Let Christ take action in your life. That's one of my prayers every morning. Christ, take action in my life. I don't know why I pray that. I just started praying that, and that's just something that I've prayed all these years. Take action in my life. Change me. Make me the real thing. That's another prayer that I pray every day. Make me the real thing, Lord. I want to be the real thing. I want you to see me as the real thing. Well, what's the real thing? Often, it's the one who repents. Not often, but really always. You, you see where you've fallen short. You see where you've sinned, and you repent. And this repentance is offered to everyone all the time. It's part of the free offer of the gospel. Everyone has a chance, even Jezebel. Is offered this. You're not offered this because you qualify for it. You know, you've been good. You've been good. I've seen you. Oh, yeah, I've seen the whole picture. You're in. Let's offer you the chance to repent. No, it's for all of us. And by the way, nobody would ever hear that from God. You know what? You've earned your way here. How can I keep you from heaven? You know, because you have people say, I don't know how God could keep this person from heaven. Well, I do. I know. He can keep every one of us from heaven. In fact, he ought to, and that he doesn't is the great surprise. 
It, it's, it's the great surprise of grace. And that's what you see here. You see grace in this word repentance. It's powerful. Don't miss that. Don't get lost in the frightening aspect of the details here. Because we've got Old Testament standard prophetic judgment in these next verses. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Always a second chance. Don't miss the second chance. Don't lose the second chance that's being offered there in your response to the other terminology. The culture has trained you to respond to that other terminology, to say, God's bad. Look how mean he is. No, God is good. Look how kind he is. God is good, amen? Yeah. Look, God is kind, amen? That's what you see here in his goodness, in his kindness. Because of his heart towards us, he's not holding back. He's not, you know, just trying to, trying to make it softer. I had a discussion with somebody last night, and the next verse, she thought, well, you should say something about that. Let's look at this next verse. So let's, let's, let me read them all, both of them. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So we're supposed to take Jesus seriously. He means to be taken seriously. We often paint him with pastels, but the, the Scriptures here don't offer that as an option for us. This is brutal language because judgment is brutal. Because the results of sin are always brutal. You, you, you can't fix what sin does. Repentance isn't fix it. Make it better. Shine it up. You know, clean it up. Put a bandage on it. No, repentance means leave it. Turn around. Metanoia. Have a metamorphosis spiritually. Leave. Depart from your sin. The, the object of God is to put you on one side of creation and put your sin on the other. Separate that which separates you from God and other people. It is tough. But as we discuss this, me and one of your sisters in Christ last night, you know, we, we realized, you know, we, we, I, I can't correct the Bible. I can't fix it. I can't, you know, try to soften it or explained it away. And she was like, yeah, you can't. Let's just let it stand. God means for us to hear it and experience the hearing of it the way we experience it. Let's let him do his work. We take it seriously. We understand the greatness of our salvation, how profound it is. It's not a small thing. It's not a Sunday morning only thing. It's, it's more. It's everything. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. So let me bring you back to, to my desk, the bottom of our house, the farthest corner 
the man cave, the place, the remotest place in the house where you put him and his stuff, and you can shut the door. That's what that is. (laughs) Where all my books go, where all my stuff goes, and where I work and do all my work. So there I am. There's the desk. And I'm reading these words, and I'm like, oh. And I think about the best buy date. And I see the, see the Vegemite right in front of me. I'm like, oh, it's got a best buy date too. And I put it down. I think, well, Lord, are you trying to tell me that I passed my best buy date? I mean, in many ways I have. As an athlete, I don't know if I ever had a best date, but I definitely can't run as fast as I did. I can't run as far as I did. I can't jump as high as I did. I can't even sit without falling asleep. Can you? Tell me the truth. Can you read like you're supposed to read? You get your book. You get your hot chocolate or your tea, and you set that there. You put a little lamp. You get the book out. You get comfortable, and you start to read because you're a reader. Readers are leaders. You're a reader. I mean, it's 30 seconds, and I'm out. (laughs) An hour, and I'm reading the same page over and over again, and I cannot change that. No amount of coffee changes that. I'm out. For the other services, I read from the back of Isaiah 40 as the call to worship. You know, he who soars wings like eagles, you know, we're not going weary. Or, you know, we'll soar like wings like eagles. You'll run and not go weary. You'll walk and not grow faint. And I had a seminary professor who said, there's a missing line here. You will sit and not fall asleep, you know. So it's up to you whether your best buy date has, has come and gone. You're past that in one way or another. Don't let anyone else talk to you about it. You can think about that for yourself. But maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're tired of this world. Maybe you feel the world is tired of you. Maybe you're just hanging on. And maybe a lot of your life has been, I mean, if we're just going to be real about it for a minute, it's been just hanging on, just kind of hanging on. And and I wanted to do more than just hang on. I wanted to do more than just get through my life. But that's what I feel like I'm doing. I'm just kind of getting through my life. And this verse can just set you free from feeling bad about that. For many of us, that's all God's looking for. Just, I want you to get through. Get through and come home to me. It's a world that you have to get through. It's a valley of shadow of death. That's what you have to walk through. And, and maybe you're tired, maybe you're exhausted, and maybe you're so tempted like you are because you're so tired and so exhausted, and maybe that was the case in Thyatira, that some of these Christians just couldn't take it anymore, and they grew weaker and weaker. And we feel bad about that when Jesus says, don't feel bad about that. I'm not looking for you to be strong. I'm not looking for you to be me, says Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I will play the role of me, says Jesus Christ. I will be your Savior. I will get you through. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Not all you who are ready for a workout. No, all you who are weary and burdened. And this verse is just, 
let it nourish your soul. Just dwell with it. It's, it's beautiful. Think about holding fast and what you're holding fast to. Because when you, when you look at life through Jesus' eyes and you see a Christian just kind of hanging on, hanging on to her faith, hanging on to his faith, getting through, doing the best they can that never, that never is good enough, you know, and that's, people can tell us it's good enough, but we, feel, we, we don't believe it. No, I, I wish I could do more. I wish I could have more. I wish I could make more of a difference. Have my life mean more than it means, but I'm just getting through. But I'm getting through with Jesus. And in Jesus' eyes, that's the heroic. Just getting through with Jesus, hanging on to Jesus. Let him do great things through you. Stop seeking great things for yourself. Let his ambition for his kingdom work through you and abandon your own. It's just getting in the way. It's just making you feel bad. It's making you susceptible to coveting. And that's where all sin enters in, through the door of coveting. We covet and we kill. We covet and we steal. We covet and we lie. We covet and we make an idol to worship so we can get the thing we covet. We covet and we leave God. Don't do that. Acknowledge that you're weary. Acknowledge that you're burdened. Those are the ones he calls to him and say, that's me. My best buy date has passed. I don't even think I had one. And all I know about is my expiration date. And because of you, now it's a transportation date, Jesus. So I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I'm holding fast. Holding fast to what I have because what I have is what you gave me until you come. And then look at what Jesus says is next. Verse 26, the one who conquers. So it's tied right to the one who holds fast. That's you. You've conquered. I just just made it. I just kind of got through by the skin of my teeth. You're a conqueror. That's right. You, You made it. And it's not you that conquered. It's me who conquered through you. And those good works that you did, if they lasted, they came from me through you. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. You don't have to worry about running for president. It's going to be given to you in one way or another, whatever that is, or whatever the equivalent role of authority that you see as being influential. Here's somebody that can make a difference. That's going to be you. That desire to have authority that came from God. We've looked everywhere else to get it. We think that money is going to give us authority, right? I got money and I can do things my way because that's what we want. That's what authority is. Now I have control and I want control because the one who made me built in me a desire for this and I want more of it and more of it. And so maybe I want more money. That'll give me more control. And you find out that you're controlled by the money. It looks like you have a lot more friends. It looks like you have a lot more options. But the money does a thing to you. Or position in life, power, whatever that is. Why do we seek these things? Because we want control. We want to control our situation. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you that. At the end of all this, that, that, that hunger you have 
for authority. Well, I'm the one who has authority. I'm going to give you my authority. And you see here a description of a battle scene. You see here a description of a battle scene where a victor is walking around surveying the damage. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. So it's amazing. Like you, you Put away your, your petty ambition and let God give you a vision for your life that has him at the center. And that's part of this next verse. And I will give him the morning star. We learn later in Revelation that Jesus is called the morning star. I will give him Jesus. God the Father gave you Jesus. You can take all the treasures in the world, all the bucket lists, all of them checked off, new bucket lists you came up with because you, you, you finished the first one or the second one or the third one. Take all of that and all of it added up together will not equal the value of this one gift given to you. I will give you Jesus. So you, you can't, when, when you really understand this verse, your ability to complain about not having dissipates, dissolves, disappears. Because you, you're, you're a believer. You're redeemed. You're a Christian. You have it all. You have it all now. And you're going to experience having it all in this life, into the next life forever. And that's part of the extreme of what's being communicated in the book of Revelation. I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, amen. I want to hear this. So we're called to hold fast. It's important to know what we're holding fast to because I can hold fast to some silly stuff. I hold fast to dreams and ambitions and goals. I set all kinds of goals. Usually they're bigger than I can accomplish and I don't accomplish them. And I want them and I, I, so I hold fast to that or I'm in an argument with someone and I'm losing the facts are betraying me and I'm still holding fast to my side because I want, above all things, to be called right even if I'm wrong. Nobody here can relate to that. I know. Just me. What are you holding fast to? Jesus says, hold fast what you have. Hold fast to what matters. What are you clinging to? How are you getting through the day? How are you looking at your life and justifying it, explaining it to yourself? Well, do some work here. Think about this. Make sure that you're holding fast to Christ. As, as an individual, as a family, as a church, this is what we hold fast to. We don't hold fast to being big or small, to having the right kind of music or the right amount of music or, I mean, what are all the other church categories? Or, oh, I didn't grow up in the church, so I forget them all the time. I know, but you churched people, you know all the different categories. I like this church. I like that church. This church does it better. This church does it better. No, I don't want to hold fast to any of that. Do you? I don't want to hold fast to that. 
I don't want us as an organization, as a family, to be holding fast to anything but what matters most. Who matters most? Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.